0: Good morning. My name is John. I'm going to be talking about identity with really truly the question we're going to be looking at is who am I? So I cleared that up already. My name's John. Hi. But more so, who do you think you are? Who does the people in this world, who do they think they are? I did a Google search because that's where we go for our answers a lot of times. And I typed in a bunch of questions about identity, knowing who we are. And I was I was expecting a few million hits because there's, you know, millions and millions of websites out there. And so I typed in, what am I on earth, what am I here on earth for? And I was just looking to see how many sites would pop up. And I was more than a little surprised when 2.1 billion, with a B, websites popped up. And I thought, okay, well, okay, maybe maybe my mind needs to get around that there's a lot more websites out there. So I typed, what's my purpose? 3.1 billion websites. Why am I here? Seven billion websites. What am I supposed to do with my life? Eight billion websites. Now, I I, I noticed that that number is actually more than the people on earth. And then I said, okay, well, let's do the big daddy of them all. Who am I? So I, I entered that one and I was thinking, you know, another eight billion. I was wrong. It was 17 billion websites about who am I. And actually, I went back and checked a few days later, and it was another 150, 150 million more. So they're just turning these out. And I'm, you know, I teach the Bible, and I coach sports, and I do some other things like that. I don't do anything with math, but I did some simple math here. And that's five websites for every single person on earth to answer that question. So this is a serious question. You know, there, there actually is a whole profession now to help us figure out who we are. They're called life coaches. You know, you go up 20 years ago and you, you were to look for something with the words life and coach in it. Usually it's the coach needs a life or life as a coach or something like that. But usually they're not sandwiched together as life coach. This is a new profession in the history of the world. As a matter of fact, since 1999, the profession has grown by over 600% just here in America. We're, we're struggling. Who are we? These life coaches and other counselor types will will get to to you and and want you to figure out your identity based on what you like, what you do, what things you feel. And so I want to ask you, what's your life purpose? Earlier this week when I, I met with Scott and Travis and we were going over our sermon ideas, we all agreed we couldn't start with that question because of where we're sitting. We'd get a very churchy answer. We'd get the answer, well, I'm to be a Christian, I'm to to believe in Jesus Christ, I'm to whatever. But I started it with the Google search because I wanted you all to think, what do I see myself as? What do I see myself as? I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a parent, I'm a student, I'm a teacher, I'm unemployed, I'm employed, right? We have this identity that we take on to ourselves. The world says the first thing that identifies you is what you do, right? You're at a dinner party, you go up and you introduce yourself, and the first question is not invariably, you know, favorite this or favorite that. It's, well, what do you do, right? And we introduce ourselves that way. And if that doesn't work, the world says, well, then just trust your feelings. If, you, if what you do, you're kind of like, mm, I don't really like my job, but I feel like I'm this. And if that doesn't work, last resort, you, what do other people say about you? And so these answers are all not adequate. Why? Because they're not what the Bible says. The Bible's answer to this is more complex, but easily understandable. And so I'm going to explain to you how that is. But first, I'm going to tell you what my identity is. I'm a dad. I'm a teacher. I'm a coach. I'm a husband. I'm a son. And I do all of these for the proclaiming of the excellencies of God. Now, I'd love to say um, that I do those perfectly, but I do have my wife and my mom in the, in the room. So I know that they will say that I don't. So as much as this was a reminder for me, I hope that this is a reminder for you, because I know many of you are a lot farther along on this proclaiming than I am. So let's get into it. Now, I'm going to ask that you all stand again for me. And if you would like to have a Bible without those pesky pop-ups and things like that, there is one in front of you in the pew and on page 1201 of the NIV, I'm not sure what the ESV one was, but you can find it. Otherwise, it'll be here on the screen. So I'm going to read this to you. You know, we, we stand up for things when they're important. You know, you know, the bride walks in. We should all stand, you know, when when, a, when a, a person that's of authority comes in, we stand. And we're going to do that for God's word today. So I'll read it to you again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. Thank you for indulging me. Have a seat. I promise that's the last time I'll make you stand up. People are searching for identity. Many times they pick things they're good at or they enjoy, and they say, this is who I am. They also pick things because they're stable. They put their identity in something that they think won't get taken away. But I will tell you that all the things of this earth can be taken away in one way, shape, or form. So we have to find our identity in something that can't be taken away. So we're going to look at uh, the, this passage where, I mean, honestly, this passage is so good. We could just read it like ten times in a row. And then I could just dismiss you all, and you guys, could, you guys could be out of here. But you know, it's Scott and Tim said I need to talk for a little bit longer, so we're going to go ahead and keep going through that. So, let's look at some context. Starting in verse eight, we're going to there's the they. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So who's the they? Well, the they, if you were here last week or if you you streamed the the, uh, sermon, the they is those who fall away, those who stumble, those who trip over the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. And then we get to my favorite word, one of my favorite words in the Bible. Um, And remember, keep in mind, one of the things uh, Tim didn't share, I teach high school students right now. Um, seventeen and eighteen year olds. And so um, I say provocative things sometimes to get their attention, so humor me on this next bit. Um, but I like the butts of the Bible. Especially the big butts, the huge butts of the Bible. Now by the chuckling I know you all added a T to the word but there. But the butts of the Bible are so important. And this but there's none bigger. Because what we see is that we go from they who will fall away but you This is an absolute contrast. Throughout the Bible, we see buts. But God, right? I was listening to a sermon this morning from Phil Johnson, and he was just teaching all about the but God. But God, isn't that amazing? We're sinful. We deserve hell. But God, right? And this is another one of those. They stumble. They fall. They will not receive it but you. And who's the you? Well, the you is what we see in verse 1 of Peter 1. It's the exiles, the elect exiles, Those who were chosen by God. And I like the next word. But you are. But you are. Okay, The word are, it's not, but you will be. It's not, you may be. It's a declarative, you are. This is who you are. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this passage and we're going to break down the statements that Peter says about you and me. Sound good? All right. First point we got is... Our identity is not found in what the world says, but what God says. Our identity is not found in what the world says, but what God says. World, the world is not a source, and by, de- by, by extension, we are not the source. You are not the source. God is the source. And so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter is going to tell us what we are. And he gives us five declarative statements. And we're going to walk through these. So the first one, as you can see on the screen, a chosen race. Now, what does this mean? What it means is it means a group set apart. And that word race means family. Okay? It's where we get the the word genealogy from. That's what the Greek root is. And the idea here is that we are unified by faith. It's not ethnicity. It's not skin color. It's not nation of origin. It is we are unified by faith. Now, this is a contrast. Now, I love that Peter, he just knows his Old Testament so well, right? This fisherman, this layperson, knows his Bible so well that he can't help but just exude it. And this is a, uh an indirect reference to Isaiah 43, where Israel is called God's chosen people. So Peter's saying, you are chosen now as well. A.W. Tozer says, it's that we're a new species a brand new species. Chosen, not choice race. Okay, God tells us who we are. Now, I really like to have little anchor words that get my thoughts around this. Um, and so the anchor word for this first one is we're chosen. We are picked. We are, you're mine. Dibs. Okay, chosen, and I like that word. Now, again, I you know I am a teacher. I teach at a, a small Christian school. I've been doing it for about 16 years, and every once in a while, I end up having to teach classes that are not really my favorite. And one of those is PE. And sometimes I teach junior high PE, which is just as terrifying as it sounds. So pray for me if that happens. But in PE, what happens, right? You line everybody up, and you're a captain. You're a captain. Pick teams, right? And you're like, you don't want to get chosen last. Because that's not fun. You're basically like, well, is there anybody else? Do we have to play? Can we play with one less? Okay, we'll take you, right? That's the place you don't want to be. Now, the other side, if you're chosen first, it's like you better have a strong back because you're carrying the team. But this that's where our mind goes with choice. We're chosen. Well, I'll let you leave that there, but let me tell you, spoiler, it's so much better than that. It's not what you think. Being chosen there is not the PE basketball team or football team or whatever it is. There's something better. So let's go to our next one. The next one is a royal priesthood. Now, these two words are both nouns. They both are who you are, not describing one or the other. So what I found when I was looking at this is this word royal is only used in the Bible one time right here by Peter. So we can't compare it to anywhere else. But what it means is it means literally a kingdom, a group of kings, a group of royalty. Wow. So when I first got this, I thought, oh, this just means the king's priests, right? Like as royal, that they're just who they work for. But that's not what Peter's saying here. Remember, our commas in the Bible are not inspired, right? And this is an example of where it goes together, but also there's a great point here. Don't miss it. We are royalty. Now, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, which again, Peter is just filled with the Old Testament here. Where did the kings come from? They came from the line of Judah. I am not Jewish, and even if I was, I wouldn't know what my tribe was, because nobody knows anymore, so there's no way that this pauper, that this non-Jewish individual, would ever be in the line for the king. But yet, this is what Peter says, you are of the line of the king, you're of the line of Judah, you are a part of the king. So, we have number one, we were chosen, and now we're adopted. We're from the other end of the, the, the spectrum, and now we're a part of the king's Family, the king's family. So we're chosen and then we're adopted. And next we see is that we're a part of a priesthood. Okay? The priesthood. This literally means a group of priests or a, a, a number of priests. The priests were the ones who would declare the good news. They'd be in charge of worship. They'd be in charge of doing all of the, 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 the church things. And notice it says priesthood. It's a group of people. It's not just you're a priest. It's all of us are priests. Together we worship and we we do church. So these priests would come, as you know, from the line of Levi. So the line of Levi, descendants of you know we had Aaron and so on. And these men had certain duties. They were the go-betweens for the for the for God and man. So the word I chose here was consecrated. Consecrated. Okay, that means to be to be made ready to do the worship service. Now notice you're kings, which none of us are, but we're brought to that, and then we're priests. None of us feel trained for that, but yet we're brought to that. And so we're chosen, we're adopted, and we're consecrated. Which leads to our next... Oh, before I get to that, I, gotta, I can't miss this point. Who was the only person in the Bible who was both king and priest? It was Christ. Because there's rules in the Bible. They never wanted... The Old Testament, Israel never wanted to have a king who was a priest. As a matter of fact, there was a king who tried to be priest, and that was a big no-no. And he... he I don't remember what happened to him, but I know it wasn't good. That's exactly what we are called. We are called kingly priests, king's priesthood. And so in Christ, they meet with the Melchizedek priesthood. In us, they meet, and we get to be those kingdom priests. It's so amazing that we get to do that. So the next one, a holy nation. This means set apart, different, special. I'm not a big fan of all those definitions, I found one I liked a little better, and this is the word set, or the two words set aside. So, I'm a little OCD and I like my outlines to match up. This isn't gonna match up. I hope you'll all forgive me for that. But set aside. Now, when I think of set aside, I think of food. I think of food a lot, but I think of food especially on this one. And what I do is when I look at my plate, I rank the food. Can anybody else appreciate that? Right? You rank the food and you go, that's the best. That's not so good. That's... Uh, uh. Okay. So I rank them, right? And then me, the way my brain works, is that I save the number one for the very last thing. So if you invite me to dinner and I eat something very last on your plate, next time just make that. Just skip all the other stuff, okay? So that will be the thing that I'll save. And we got Thanksgiving coming up, and you guys are going to do this. You're going to save that last thing because you want that flavor in your mouth. That last... Mm, okay, yeah, that's right. Okay? Now, I was told uh, by a fellow... Uh, Uh, Person here, it's Tim. I'm just going to call him out. Um, I was told by Tim that I got it all backwards. He said, "You never know when the rapture is going to happen, so you got to eat number one first because you want to go to heaven with that taste in your mouth as well." And uh, he's even amanning it over here. So, either way, the, the analogy still works. It's the set aside. It's the thing that you've set aside that is you're calling it's mine, and it's the thing that I want to treasure. Okay, and we see this another reference by Peter to Isaiah 43. These separate people, set aside. So we've got we're chosen, we're adopted, we're consecrated, and we're set aside. And then we get to our last of these five. And that is a people for his own possession. God's own special possession. Right? I love that. That 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 picture of he has chosen us, like Second Corinthians six sixteen talks about. Older translations would use the word peculiar. You're a peculiar people. That that word hasn't really come forward in the 21st century very well. If I was to call you peculiar, you'd be like, well, you're peculiar. That, that's the thing is that that word doesn't mean odd. It doesn't mean weird. It means really important, really special. All right. Um, purchased, prized. And I think about it and I go, you know, what are those prized possessions in our life? If there was a fire in your house right now, what's the thing that you'd be like? I, I got to have that. Go get it. Right. Now, this speaks to me, um, and I'm very thankful for um, how this story ends, but this speaks to me because um, five years ago this this July, my house nearly burned down. Our neighbors were lighting fireworks, and they didn't dispose of them, and they burned their house down and nearly burned our house down. So in the middle of the night, about 1.30, July 6th, the next morning, as the fire is raging outside, I wake up to the side of my house on fire, and I go grab... My kids, okay. So I grabbed my kids. I didn't go get anything else. There were no special cards or books or anything like that. And I, my my wife, I didn't have to grab. I just said, come on, let's go. And she came too, so praise the Lord on that one. We got out of the house safely and sent them up to the in-laws' house. And then I went back and I watched the firefighters put out the fire on my house as my possessions are burning. Uh, thankfully, it really only got into our attic and into our garage. So most of our stuff wasn't ruined. And praise the Lord. I'm going to brag on the Lord for a minute. Uh, we got a total house remodel paid for by somebody else. It was awesome. And so, you know, we weren't planning on a remodel or burning our house and living out of our house for six months. But God is good. And he took care of it on that. But I want to brag on the Lord one more. Okay. So obviously kids are important and you're going to, you, you, but what is that thing, that possession, that thing that you own that you would go back for? And honestly, I couldn't, I don't think I could narrow it down to one thing. I wouldn't want to save all of it, but I, I didn't have it, but my wife did. And so she went and kids went up to Frank and Tony's house and, and they, they slept and I stood there and watched the firefighters as they are getting into our attic. Our attic because of the way it, was, uh, way it was, the fire had penetrated the attic. And the way it works is you don't want even a single ember of the fire in there because it'll keep burning. And then a few days later, your house will catch on fire again, and they don't leave it that way. So the firemen are climbing onto our roof, and they got that big circular saw, right? Okay, And he goes, they're, they're cutting through it, and they're throwing stuff out. Some of it's on fire, some of it's smoldering, but they're just, I mean, they're just hucking it out. It's like, oh, that was a family heirloom, right? And they, they didn't care. They were just, we got to get this fire out. And they're not worrying about anything. And so about 7 a.m. that morning, Katie comes back, and she goes, oh, I'm so upset. And I said, oh, yeah, me too. And she goes, no, no, I don't care about any of that other stuff. She goes, there's this one there's this one box in the attic, this little shoe box. I, I can't believe we lost it. And in the shoe box, it was Thanksgiving crafts that we did at a church that we were at. And my kids had done it. And you, you parents know there are certain things that your kids have done that even, even though they're never going to win awards, they are a treasure to you. And you can't replace those. And that was, these these were just, we had such good memories around them, and they were just beautiful. And Katie said, oh, we lost those. And I said, yeah, I said, you know, those firemen were not taking care of our stuff. Right? They were just throwing it out, and that's just the way it had to be. And so we, we kind of grieved about it. And so the fireman finally put out the fire, and we're walking around our house, walking where it had been on fire, and it's all these mounds of wet stuff and brown stuff and blackened and just grody. And we're just, you know, we're grieving. And we walk up, and there's this mound of clothes and insulation and so on, and sitting right on top of it is that shoebox. And it says, Kids Thanksgiving Crafts. So we're thinking, oh, we just got a bunch of pieces. They're all broken. We went over. We opened it up. They're in perfect shape. They're not wet. They're not smoke damaged. I mean, I I, I don't know how this happened because literally a firefighter would have had to have gone up there and grabbed it gingerly and walked down and set it down for it to be in the shape it was in. So we were just like, oh, praise the Lord. That is so awesome. God, why would you do that? Because God understands what it's like to treasure something and want it for His own. Someday in heaven, I don't think we'll have Google, but we'll have some sort of search device. And I'm going to Google that moment and I'm going to go, Lord, how did you do that? Was it like a transporter, like Star Trek? Was it an angel? What was it? Because however you did that, that is awesome. But that's how God sees you. And so the word I've chosen here is the word adored. So we are chosen, we are adopted, We're consecrated, we're set aside, and we're adored. Now let's return to that P.E. class. I know that probably triggered a few of you and you're going to be upset. That's okay. We'll make it. That P.E. class, lined up, chosen based on skill. Notice that all of these that are listed here are not about how good you are. Not about how amazing you are. Instead, it's about how amazing he is. You aren't loved because you're valuable. You are valuable because God loves you. Now, Peter, again, like I said, he quotes the Old Testament. Like I told you, I'm not going to make you stand up for this one. But in Deuteronomy 6 or 7, 6, 7 and 8, um, Moses writes about Israel. And see if you can catch some of the flavor that we see in this passage here. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people, but it's because the Lord loves you. Why did God choose you? Because he loves you. Why does he love you? Because he loves you. But what about he loves you? But I do. He loves you. That's the understanding that we need to have. It's one thing to say I'm the type of person that understands this. It's another thing to say I'm the type of person who is this. And that's what we're trying to change here today. We're trying to remind ourselves of that. So let's go to our second point here. That you may proclaim, this is what we're called to do, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Out of darkness into light. Now, there's a word in there, that word proclaim. That sure sounds like an evangelism word. If if your identity is not based on the five things that we've gone over, you're going to see this idea of evangelism or proclaiming or sharing as a program that a church does instead of seeing it as the identity of who you are. And that's what we want to do. We want to change our actions and our identity. And when we get to the identity, our actions are going to fall right out of that. So let's break this phrase down a little bit. The first word we see is the word that. This word that is a purpose statement. So we have all these things. God chose us. He adopted us. He consecrated us. He set us aside. And He adores us so that and then whatever comes next is the reason why He did it or the purpose for it. And we see that in the next passage. It says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you. Excellencies. That word, excellencies, means the goodness, the virtue. Proclaim or the the call means to invite or summon in. So what he's saying here is he's saying God made you these five things so that you could proclaim how good He is because He brought you in. Now I want to return to that word pro- proclaim. This is a word I struggled with a little bit um, because it has kind of a churchy sound to it, and so I, I wanted to dig in and try to find out what it is and. Doggone it, Peter, this is a word only used once in the New Testament. So I couldn't even contra- compare it to somewhere else in the New Testament. So I had to do some, some, some word study on this, and there were a bunch of different ways. Some people said celebrate. Some people said show forth. Some just said declare. And then this one guy, he said advertise. And I went, ooh, okay. I like that word. We can do something with that. And so I started thinking about advertising. Again, I teach 18 year olds and 17 year olds. So my mind went on a bunny trail pretty quickly. And I started thinking of advertisements that I liked. So if you'll bear with me, we'll chase this bunny for a second. And I started thinking of my favorite advertisements. And did you guys know that we see between 30,000 and 60,000 advertisements a year? And even that number is debatable. It might be a lot more. And so I started thinking about my favorite advertisements. And so the first one that I came up with was a late 90s one that was really popular for about a week and a half. And then it got really overdone by guys like me, and we stopped doing it. And you'll remember, if you've been it, it was the commercial where the guys would call each other on the phone and they'd go, What's up? And the other guy would go, What's up? And, what's up? and they would do that back and forth. And it was really cool for about... Three weeks, two weeks, maybe one, probably. And then guys like me kept doing what's up to everybody and it became annoying. So that was one that stuck in my head. Another one that I kind of am amused by is the Old Spice one, right? Do-do-do-do-do-do-do, right? You guys know that one, right? And it's all these random things happening behind this black guy who's standing up there with his shirt off and it's, it's weird, but I buy Old Spice, so there you go. I guess it worked. But my favorite commercial, actually I have two, but my favorite commercial comes from Jeddah. Um, the Jetta car commercial. There's one with Darth Vader with the little kids like trying to make the car and then it turns on and he thinks he's got the force. I think that one's cute. But this one is an older one that I love. And I had to go back and rewatch it. So I was watching it in class and uh, I was laughing out loud and it was awkward because the kids didn't know why I was laughing. And yeah, so I didn't tell them just because it makes me seem weird and then they are scared of me and then they do what I say. So it works out good in the long run. But, so I'm watching this commercial again and it starts off and it's this grocery store. Right. And then this Jetta drives up, stops and the guy gets out and he's all like, yeah, that's my Jetta. And he walks off camera. Right. And you're sitting there and you're watching it and it's kind of quiet from it. You're going, wow, they wasted a lot of money on this commercial. And then all of a sudden you hear a very familiar sound and you go, I know what that sound is. That's a shopping cart. And I can tell by how loud it's getting that it's coming up behind me and it's moving really fast and it comes into the camera and it's bearing down right on the side of that Jetta, that brand new Jetta. And right as it's about to hit the Jetta, the owner comes off the camera and tackles it and dives off the other side. And I just go, yes, that's what I would do if I ever could get a new car. But I look at that and I go, wow, that's such a great commercial. The car is amazing. It's funny. It's latched right up here. And I went, cool. Well, if I ever have money, maybe I'll get a Jetta. So this advertise word, this word advertise means to publicize in order to make someone want something, to publicize, to make in order to make someone want something. So we are to advertise the goodness of who God is. Now you're like, okay, wait, but isn't advertise a kind of a loaded word? Don't we have this negative connotation about it? It's like to manipulate, to get us to buy something we really don't want. Right, There's going to be thousands of advertisements this week as we get closer to Black Friday and then Cyber Monday and then who knows what Tuesday and so on, right? But listen, advertising works. And let me tell you why. The first one is that unlike actual advertisements, which are to make money off of you, when we advertise, we get nothing. We get nothing. When you proclaim the excellencies, the goodness, when you advertise the goodness of God, you're not more chosen. You're not more adopted. You're not more consecrated. You're not more set aside. And you're not more adored. Because you're already done that 100% in Christ Jesus. So it becomes something that we can't help but do because it's, it's nothing we get out of it. And then the second point I'd say on this is, what do we get out of it? We get the joy of sharing it with others. How awesome is that? That we can talk about the thing that's most important to us and declare how good it is and then watch it happen in others. Some of you in this room have done that. You've shared the gospel just by being who you are and you've watched the person across from you have that darkness into light. And it's amazing. And it's 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 joyful. C.S. Lewis once said, if you love something, you can't help but share it. And I think that's a very good definition. It reminded me of a relative. Now, this relative is not a member of this church, and it's not my mom who's sitting back there either. And you guys don't know who this is, so don't go blaming Frank or somebody else or Katie for this. But um, this relative is an evangelist, okay? But he's not the typical evangelist. He's not the kind of evangelist that's up there saying turn or burn or anything like that. Instead, he's an evangelist for his favorites. And what do I mean by that? His favorite movie, his favorite television show, his favorite um comic book, his favorite food, right? And he, and he just sits down and he describes it so just amazingly that you can't help but start like salivating, right? It's like that show, The Best Food I Ever Ate, right? When they're describing the food. That's what he's like with everything. And it's, I mean, it's amazing. And what's the most amazing about it is he's got terrible taste. I mean, his taste is hor- I mean, From my perspective, it's horrible. Okay, it's good for him. But for me, I, I, and, and yet... I'll go, wow, you know what? The way he describes that, maybe I should try it. I should see if I could get that on Amazon. Should we go to that place for dinner? I mean, it's a hundred times in a row that I watch the show that he watches and I go, ah, I hated that. That movie, oh man, I can't get my money back. But yet a 101 times I go, you know, he described that so well. Maybe I should do it, right? And he can't help it because he loves it so much that it just overflows out of him. And that's ultimately what we are supposed to be. We're supposed to be someone whose the excellencies of God are so real to us that it just comes out, that we can't help but sharing it. So what are these excellencies? The excellencies, as you can see there, are called out of darkness into marvelous light. The darkness into life. Unbelief into belief. And we've experienced that, haven't we? Right? When the light switch gets flipped on, Time how long it takes for the darkness to leave the room. It's gone like that. And many of you in this room have experienced that. You've experienced that moment when you all of a sudden get it. It's there. Right? And that is the amazing transformation. The being added to God's family. Chosen. Adopted. Consecrated. Set aside. Adored. When that clicks, the light is on. There's no more darkness. So our identity is that we need to see that I am a person who proclaims the excellencies of God. Alright, to our third point. Our third point comes directly out of verse 10. We get the identity by God, through God, and for God. We get our new identity by God, through God, and for God. You'll notice in this passage, there is nothing about what we do or did but what He has done and is doing. Once you were not a people. That's the worst news in the world. You're not a part of God's people. But now you are God's people. Not becoming, not will be one day. You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is so good. i got a couple different versions of this. I want to read them to you because this is, this is it. We who were once a no-people have now become God's people. We who have, not, who have once experienced no mercy are now swimming in mercy. The Living Bible says, once you were less than nothing, now you were God's own. Once you knew very little of God's kindness, and now your life has been changed by it. This, I mean, this just is amazing. But even in this, Peter is folding in the Old Testament. He's referencing Hosea here. Hosea, the Old Testament minor prophet who God said, Go marry Gomer. Gomer, his wife, was a harlot. And harlotry was a capital offense. And Hosea had every right to have her put to death. But God said, No, mercy her. Mercy her. It's a picture of God's love for us. The entire book of Hosea is about that. It's in fact, it's the fact that literally there are, there's two, different, there's two different things that end up with capital punishment. One's idolatry and one's adultery. And isn't it interesting in the Bible that it's spiritual adultery when we follow idols? And so these are capital offenses. And instead of getting what we deserve, we get mercied not an English word, but we're going to use it here today. Mercied, right? Jesus took our punishment, the capital punishment, and we receive mercy. Mercy by its definition cannot be deserved, earned. It can only be accepted. And that's what we see right here in Christ Jesus. So now, you know, based on your behavior and how you live your life, you may be going, am I really one of God's people? This verse makes it clear That you once were not, and now you are. The rest is just simply living it out. He did it. He's taken us and he's made us insiders, right? We were on the outside and now we're inside. We were unholy, now we're holy. We were paupers, now we're royalty. We were pagans, and now we're the priests. We get to interact with God. It takes that idea of exiles, which is get away, get away, get away. And turns it on its head and says, come here, come here, come here. You are now a part of mine. God in His mercy chooses us and mercies us. See, there's joy here. There's joy here. And when you feel this and when you get it, your identity is going to change. Because we don't do anything to deserve this, which means it can't be taken away from us. When we find our identity in something that could be taken away, whether it be a job, a relationship, an idea of who I am can be taken away, that's not stable. This is the only stable identity in finding it in Christ. We are no longer exiles. We are chosen. We are adopted. We are consecrated. We are set aside. We are adored. And we have been mercied continually. The God of the universe has mercied you. We will change our identity. We will be proclaimers of the excellencies of God when we see ourselves as someone who does that. Then our ident- identity now becomes our reinforcer. Why do, I, why do I proclaim the excellencies? Because I'm someone that proclaims the excellencies. It no longer becomes a task, but it becomes who you are and it reinforces itself. You do it because it's who you are and then it feels good to be who you are. So to summarize, your identity is found in the mercy extended to you by God when you did nothing to deserve it. Everything else in your life, how you parent, how you work, how you drive, how you talk, all of it flows out of understanding that identity. So let it flow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are a good God. Lord, You took our sins on that cross, took our place that was well-deserved, and then You gave us Your place. Lord, we get to be chosen like You are chosen. We get to be a part of Your kingdom. We get to be a priest in Your priesthood. We get to be Your possession. We get to be adored by You because of Your mercy. Help us to not miss that. Help us to live that out daily. Help us to be something we can't control not sharing. Let us be Christian everything as we walk out of these doors today lord remind us of this in your name amen